and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand and on the blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. If you'd like to join us as well, 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Last name, D-E-A-C-E. Find us on Facebook and like us there, which apparently none of you have done in about two and a half years. So that's cool. Hey, Ron did. Ron says he did? Yeah. All right. Go and see if uh, he shows up on Facebook uh, when I check out the metrics today because they're telling me literally no one has liked my page in two and a half years. So that's there's that. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up uh, today on the program, um, the truth bomb at the bottom of the hour is uh, I'm going to make an open appeal to uh, a man assuming a prominent place of leadership in our culture from my generation. And as they once told Michael Keaton in Mr. Mom, you're doing it wrong. But I think he wants to do it right. And I want to give him some encouragement from someone out on the front lines of the battle he is now called to wage. And we're going to talk about that here at uh, the bottom of the hour. Uh, Next hour, Phil Robertson needs no introduction. He will be joining us. And Theology Thursday coming your way a little bit later on too. And and I wasn't going to do this um, just because it's one of those things God tells me I need to do that I don't want to do. So it's the year of no BS, right? So Aaron yesterday was like, we need to discuss this. And I'm like, not really. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty good where I'm at right now. I prayed about it and I feel real good about where I'm at right now. Actually, I feel real good about it. Uh, And then I'm not making, I haven't even said this to Aaron yet. I got like three emails from around the country yesterday. Same as that. Bringing this particular topic up and asking me about it or addressing it. All right. And I'm like, because I know what that means, man. I know what it means every time. What it means is I think he wants us to address it. And I don't want to. I'm I'm real comfortable uh, with my spite. I'm good with it right now. I think it's totally justified. So we're going to talk about that uh, on Theology Thursday coming up a little bit later on today. One of the things we do get to do on our show that uh, is a real blessing is we get to support great causes, particularly organizations like Back to Jerusalem that want to take the ultimate hope. And that is the hope that uh, that ultimate hope that can only be found uh, from the source of hope, uh, our creator uh, and, and his word. And they want to take that light to the darkest corners of the earth, what are, clo- what are called closed countries. Uh, because they don't want to let that hope in because they don't want their people to have hope. Instead, they want to keep oppressing their people uh, by denying them the hope that would inspire them to to be more than oppressed. Uh, Back to Jerusalem is is based in one of those countries, communist China. You know, right now, if you're born in Beijing, there's a better chance that you'll be baptized as a Christian than if you're born in Boston, Massachusetts. But if you stroll down the streets of Beijing, you wouldn't see a lot of the influence of all those new Christian converts. That's largely an underground uh, faction uh, in, in, a, in a country like China because they don't want 
that influence in the culture. They don't want that hope brought to their people. They want to continue to oppress them. And they don't want to just reach uh, their native China. They want to reach Iran. They want to reach uh, uh, North Korea. Basically, every closed country between China and Jerusalem is the goal. And one of the ways they can do that is with our help. They have 10,000 Bibles. And they have found a way to basically shrink these things down. And they don't change the wording, all right, but, but put these into a format where they can basically sneak it by the gatekeepers in, in each of these closed countries. But they need our help. It costs about $15 to get one of these uh, through, uh, you know, uh, through the portal there, if you will. Uh, and that's where they need your help. Basically, for the cost of a fast food uh, trip uh, today with you and a coworker, loved one, friend, etc., uh, they can bring the word of God to North Korea, China, Somalia, Iran, and more. If you want to help, blazehelp.org is the website. Blazehelp.org, or give them a call, 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now, here's Aaron with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by It Can Always Get Worse. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you one, uh, first thing I would say is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. Virginia Governor Northam faces fierce conservative backlash over abortion bill. Conservatives pounce. I have devoted my life to caring for children, and any insinuation otherwise is shameful and disgusting. The Attorney General for Virginia says Trump and his Republicans in Richmond are trying to spread shameful lies about Kathy Tran, a tremendous delegate, and Governor of Virginia Ralph Northam, a man who served our nation in uniform and dedicated his life to caring for children as a pediatrician. Don't believe a word of it. I think now is a good time for the following reminder. This is Margaret Sanger, the founder of the organization that would later be known as Planned Parenthood. Well, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents 
that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can, can commit. She wasn't an activist. She was a prophet of Hell. In other news, President Trump told the Daily Caller in an exclusive interview that concessions for DACA, that's the program that allows children of illegals to stay here, is highly unlikely during this round of negotiations for building a border wall. Republicans on the Homeland Security Committee are wasting their time. Democrats, despite all of the evidence, proof, and caravans coming, are not going to give money to build the desperately needed wall. I've got you covered. Wall is already being built. I don't expect much help. Democrats are becoming the party of late-term abortion, high taxes, open borders, and crime. Amid FBI probe, Andrew Gillum finds new job at CNN. Phoenix Restaurant says this is a photo of coal miners, but I see offensive blackface. And finally, what it's like to throw a cup of water in the air today in Florida. I don't like you, but I respect the troll. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> nice. Um, let's start, actually, I'm, uh, we're going to... Uh, because what's going on in Virginia will actually be a good segue to what's coming up in the next uh, segment of the show. So I, I want to start with uh, the messaging we saw from uh, President Trump today. I think it was, and and this is not, um, although maybe impossible to avoid this. It, it's not meant as uh, well. You know, it is a low bar. Um, I, I mean this objectively. Uh, that's. That collection of of messaging that Aaron had in his montage, I think, is the best that he's had this year so far. I think it's the best he's had in many moons. And what's good about it is it's it's not. I think it's good as a standalone set of messages, meaning. Well, I mean, it bets it, it beats uh, tweeting witch hunt seventeen times at five a.m. That, that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I mean. You know, I mean, this is objectively good messaging, objectively good. Particularly the very last one. They're all good, but the very last one in particular, and it goes to what we tried to talk about a couple of days ago. We did a little political science exercise on the show, and we showed you a map. I want to show it to you here uh, again. This is the 2020 election map as it stands right now. And this is giving the most objective benefit of the doubt to the Republican Party. All right. So the, the, the states in blue, they cannot win. The states in red, they cannot lose. And everything else is where the election is going to be fought. Which means, as it stands right now, regardless of what belief system is espoused in the Democratic nominee, they have 200 electoral college votes the first Tuesday of November in 2020, just by showing up. And we told you there were two paths forward for the president, um, two paths to victory. And, and that one path would be, I just get to do, do it, create a message that gets me to 270. And then the other path forward is a national mandate that I'm going to make a, go back and watch Watch the film of what we said. It's on Facebook Watch right okay? now. Okay, what yeah. we said two days ago. That another way to do this would be to, to draw an existential line in the sand with the Democratic Party as a whole. It's almost like it's almost like someone in the White House watched what, or the president himself watched what we said and then tweeted it out today. 
pick a large-scale worldview fight. And that last tweet that was in Aaron's montage from the president today is a perfect example of it. Aaron, put that monta- put the map back up there one more time if you don't mind. If the president were to raise the stature of his presidency, see, I don't, I don't think he's got to have a 58% approval rating like a Reagan or a post-9-11 approval rating like a George W. Bush. Country's so balkanized anyway. That, that to get a national mandate, he, he couldn't win 49 states like Reagan did anyway. He couldn't do it in today's environment. So it also means he doesn't need a 57% approval rate to get a national mandate by today's environment. If he could get just at 50, if he could consistently pull at 50% and raise the stature of his presidency, I could foresee a scenario if with that messaging, depending on who or what the Democrats nominate, Every one of those states that are gray, every one of them, I could foresee a scenario where they would all go red. Every one. And, and, by t- and given the condition of the culture we're in today, again, where we're not polarized, it's, as we've pointed out to you before, it's not wrong to say we're polarized. It's just not precise. Okay? It's not exactly right. The more precise description of where we are today is balkanization. There is no message that the president could concoct. No person the Democrats could nominate that would let him win Oregon, is what I mean. That's the, that's the difference between polarization and balkanization. Polarization means you are divided. Balkanization means you're determined. You may be divided, but you might find an area where maybe eventually you come back together. No, 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 no. You are balkanized. The, the lines are drawn. They are determined. And they're not changing. Barring a non-providential event, they are not changing. There is no message the president can, can concoct that would allow him to win Vermont. That would allow him to win New York. There's no character. There's no, there, and, and it's not just this president. It's anybody with an R after their name. There's no dignity, class, nobility they could demonstrate. No moderation on an issue that they could make an example out of that would allow them to win California. It cannot happen. Not that it's not, it's not a question of will. It's a question of can't. It's not polarization. It's balkanization. Those lines on that map are determined now, right now. And then the areas that are in gray are where the balkanization is not determined. There is balkanization that is occurring there, like in my old home state of Michigan. You have the eastern side of the state with Detroit, for example. You have the western side of the state where I grew up, Grand Rapids, which used to have Kenton Ottawa counties per capita, used to be, I don't think it's true anymore, but they used to per capita have more evangelical Protestant churches than any two counties in America. And so the way it works in a state like that is if you can turn out more voters, if you're Trump in the western part of the state, then the Democrat nominee turns out in the eastern part of the state, you can win it. Okay, so that, those are the gray states are the polarized ones. Everywhere else, are, is, are, it's determined. So the gray states are where, things are, are where people are divided. The colored states are where they are determined. That's a key difference. Everybody understand that so far in our follow-up poli-sci lesson so far? Yes. Okay. Every one of those divisive states, if the president can, can raise the stature of his presidency, and this is why he doesn't need a 57% approval like Reagan did, because he can't win several of those blue states like Reagan won in 84. He can't win them. He can't. 
And Mitt Romney couldn't win him, and John McCain couldn't win him, and George W. Bush couldn't win him, and Jeb Bush couldn't win him, and Ronald Reagan couldn't win him today. Couldn't win him today. Cultures are too far gone. So he's got to, so it, he, he just needs to have the stature high enough that it's not an instant record backlash he produces in a state like Wisconsin, for example. We're meaning he's so unpopular, the backlash of the polarized part of the state that's Democrat, no, you, he couldn't, he can't, he can't overcome that turnout no matter what he does in the places where he can win. Does that make sense too? Yes. Okay. So he needs to diffuse some of the tension around his presidency. Now, the good news for the president is most of the tension around his presidency that he needs to diffuse has nothing to do with his stances on the issues. It has everything to do with his personality. Meaning he doesn't really have to moderate on some hard line issue. It's really about, man, this guy's, I can't stand watching him. He, he grates on me. He annoys me. You see these kinds of voters in your parish that I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Because they're all over the suburban neighborhood where I live. That if he just was a more res, respected persona, that could get him to 50, I think, on that alone. And if he can do that, and he sticks with that messaging right there, this thing yesterday with Democrats coming out for open infanticide, they are, they're, they're again saying everything we, people like me told you for years. If you're one of those Romney, Bill Crystal types, and I'm, or Chuck Grassley, my own senator, who used to tell my management and people around me, I'm too crazy radical. I, I, he's in the Senate with these guys. They're not really like this. People like me, we're the problem. Okay. Well, notice their silence now. Because they're now confirming this was the end game and what this was about all along. They just want to be able to kill people they don't want, period. That's what Margaret Sanger articulated in that clip with Mike Wallace 60 years ago that Aaron played. And that's exactly what Ralph Northam, who's a doctor, knew the new governor of Virginia. That's exactly what he is saying. That's exactly what Andrew Cuomo is saying. We just want to be able to kill these people if we don't want them, period. And we'll come up with any rationale. Don't believe Ralph Northam saying, well, we're going to birth the child. It will be comforted. And then we'll decide whether to kill it or not. See, there are people I'm sure are pro-choice in the president's family. That now that we are, now that we're fully defining what choices we're willing to let people have, that's a, that's going to be a bridge too far for a lot of people, guys. A lot of people. I'm not sure. You know, I, 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 I think we can win. Life begins at conception. I think we can win when there's a heartbeat, there's a life. I know we can win. So we're going to deliver babies and then kill them. I, I know we can win that. I know we can win that one. If we're willing to have a proxy to pick that fight, we are. I mean, what I would love to see the president do is at his State of the Union address next week, say, you know, there's been a huge battle over whether to defund Planned Parenthood or not. Are they an abortion provider or not? Here's my vow to the American people. As long as I am the president of these United States, not a dime of the American people's money is going to any organization that would perform any of those kinds of procedures. So if Planned Parenthood wants our money, they must then publicly vow they would not carry out such acts. Put it on them. Make them defend this. 
Did you see the look on the woman's face? Now, I don't know who this radio host is in Virginia. I don't know what her politics are. Did you watch her look? Mm -hmm. Did that, did she seem pleased in what she saw her governor articulating? Did she seem completely comfortable with it? I have no idea what her position on the issue on a fundamental level is, but I can tell her body language was telling you she was not picking up what he was laying down. At the very least, she was stuck. Yes. If she had, was looking for a way out verbally, rhetorically, spiritually, uh, she did not find it there. there are, and if, if I were in the president's political office, what I would do is say, you want to make every suburban woman in America who doesn't like you make a choice, Mr. President. And that choice is this. What do they disdain more? Your douchey tweets or birthing live children and killing them. Make them make that choice. Make them make that choice. Put it on them. They're the voter. Make them decide what's what's worse for the moral fabric of America, as Mitt Romney was writing about recently in the Washington Post. Put that on every suburban voter, every suburban woman you apparently that you've allegedly alienated these last few years, Mr. President. Make them all walk in there the first Tuesday of November in 2020 and ask themselves, what's more offensive to me? The stupid crap Trump tweets at 5 a.m. from the White House throne or... Let's give birth to live children and then decide after we've comforted them, of course, whether we're going to end their lives right there in the hospital or the quote unquote clinic. Make them all decide that. But he has to provoke those kinds of fights. But that that kind of messaging, if he can raise the stature of his presidency, would cause could could cause the biggest presidential route the current political environment is probably capable of 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 producing. We're not we're not capable of producing a Nixon McGovern, Reagan Mondale anymore. We're, we're we're too balkanized. There's too many places both sides can't win now. But whatever we would consider by today's balkanization standards, if the president were to raise the standard of his presidency, the stature of his presidency, and then go with that argument, raise the stature of his presidency this year. And then spend next year with that messaging. I think that would devastate them. But it, but it, it's got it can't be it can't be one or the other. It has to be both. Now I think in, I think he could get to maybe even two. I think he could potentially get to two seventy on that messaging alone, regardless of the current state of his presidency. I just think the odds he can be reelected goes up the more he rebuilds his stature with the American people. And the more, because here's the thing, guys, the more stature he has, the more devastating that argument is. See, that argument is devastating to us on its face, regardless of who Donald Trump is. But how many of us are there? How many of us are going to vote in 2016? I wish it was more. Okay? But... The ability for that for that messaging to permeate and penetrate a wider audience is directly tied to the character and and popularity of the messenger. Now, I wish it wasn't that way, but we're human beings. You know, I would imagine if, if there was a way that God could have made this work. Other than putting himself in human form where he had to get hungry like us and thirsty like us and go to the bathroom like us and wipe and wipe and clean himself up after using the bathroom like us and sweat like us and sleep like us. If there was a way God could have done this, 
to avoid lowering himself to that level in order to reach and communicate with us, I would assume he probably would have done it. But alas, in our state that we are in and the way that we are created and the way that we are fallen, more especially, there was no other way. So it required Emmanuel, not words in the sky. We, we needed to touch the hem of his garment. We needed to see, we needed to see him walk out of a tomb. We needed to touch the holes in the hands. We needed to. So that's a devastating message, even from a problematic person like Donald Trump. And the less problematic he makes himself, the more devastating that message becomes. Thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, this is along the lines of what I was begging Donald Trump to do before he became president uh, with Sweet Cakes by Melissa. To to embrace this, uh, to publicly say, hey, listen, in many ways, I'm not the poster f- child for uh, protecting marriage, but uh, this has is, is gone uh, too far. Uh, I, I, I'm a businessman, uh, this, and this will not stand. And, you know, the optics of pulling the money out of his pocket, say, uh, here's the money, pay for your fine, and we're going to go to war on this. We're going to stop this. So, yeah, you, you are right in theory, Steve, that even in his broke there's a paradox here he could he could in theory become gain in stature while admitting his brokenness i mean that's how this often works for consciences to grow but i i just don't i don't believe my own logic anymore on on that i just i can't i can't even imagine him doing this in any sustained level i can see him doing something like this in the state of the union but then i just can't He'll just be back. I'm glad you're. What else do we have other than to suggest this? I, we have nothing right. else. We have nothing else. So we you're have right. nothing else. And and I, I'm not trying to fix it. Okay, I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm responding to him doing something affirmatively, independently. I did not anticipate, and I think it's cash money, homie. And so yeah, I'm going to use whatever platform yeah. and means I have to encourage what you don't think can happen, and history has shown. You're more probably right than we want to admit, but I'm going to, if, 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 as long as he wants to stay on this, I'm going to do everything I can with every association and platform I have to try and, and encourage and push it. And then ultimately, if he doesn't stay on it, there's nothing I can do about it. But we need to see some commercials, uh, forthwith along the way there was one not too long ago that went viral that that really did a good job of putting forth an issue we that needs to happen right now all the forces uh, need to join steve Dace in trying to poke the president to do what is right here see that's where i was going to go that it's not so much um it's not so much the the the, the main concern I have the main same main concern that todd does about the sustainability of president trump uh, being able to carry out this message and propagate this message um, consistently in a, in a disciplined way because that's not what we've seen. It's not so much, though, that Trump, it's on Trump to carry this out. It's on conservative media mm-hmm. because I think the cycle that we see is that Trump will do something good and then he'll get comfortable and everybody's talking about how amazing he is and then he lets his guard down and then but daddy and then he does something stupid and then it's just a snowball effect until he just craters and then people start to get on him in conservative media and then he you see him respond to that again and it's the same cycle over and over again 
What Todd just hit on there, I think, is the key. Whether or not conservative media will, or at least the people around Trump, who he actually listens to, um, and not, I'm not talking about Javanka, uh, whether or not they can actually sustain this. Because Trump, he is, he is a proxy. He is a usable proxy. But he has to be used. Um, needs to be cattle prodded. Needs to be cattle prodded. I was going to say, yeah, cattle prodded is probably a better term. Than, Even a thoroughbred needs a jockey. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, rather than amoeba. That's probably a better uh, way of putting it. It's the people around him in conservative media that need to have some consistency. Trump. Trump is an unbridled horse at the track. Okay, and he's as likely to run off track as he is to put together the best two mile time you've ever seen. That's why the jockey on the top of the horse is key and that's what Aaron was alluding to because the this kind of messaging is devastating for their cause and a huge boost to ours if we can keep him on it more in a moment Homeowners, beware. A new data breach just exposed 24 million of you, if you're a homeowner, to title fraud, a crime that could cost you your home if you have a mortgage, a refi, or a HELOC, like I do, for example. Um, Through a major bank, the breach may have put you at risk of losing every dollar of equity you've built up in your home and maybe even the home itself. Because this data breach gave scammers everything they need to steal your home's title. They just forge your signature from there as the seller, refi your home under a new name, take out loans on your home, and then they stick you with the payments. You won't know what hit you until it's too late. Late notices show up maybe even an eviction notice. Your bank doesn't protect you, neither does insurance or identity theft programs, but for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. Home Title Lock protects my home. That's why I recommended you check it out as well. Check now to see if if you're already a victim. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Register for your free title scan and report. Normally that's $100, but it's free today for our family here at The Blaze. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to today's uh, Truth Bomb, uh, brought to you by my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies. Conservatives believe to our own demise. We're going to start delving deeper into the book on the program next week. We'll do a Bible, I said a Bible study, a book study uh, on uh, the book. Uh, We'll go through it chapter by chapter starting next week. Get your copy right now bookstores, but amazon.com is uh, the best way to get it if you want to go through this uh, with us next week in real time as well. And if you have had a chance to purchase the book already and read it through and you like what you've seen, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at amazon.com, I know my publisher would appreciate it. And my kids appreciate the uh, book purchase as well because you helped to pay for Disney, we hope, later this year. Today's truth bomb is, um, today's truth bomb is, a, is an open plea. And I want to start by referring to an article I posted on my Facebook wall earlier this week from uh, from J.D. Greer, who's been on this show before. And uh, J.D. is now one of the most, if he, if, he, if he does it right, one of the most influential people in America. And most of you probably don't know who he is. But he's now the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest 
evangelical Protestant denomination in America, by far. And it's also the only evangelical Protestant denomination in, I think, American history, as far as I know, that ever went liberal, meaning heretical, I don't mean politically, uh, I mean theologically, that ever went heretic and came back. And this is now the mantle that J.D. is assuming. And in this article in the Christian Post, which I posted on my Facebook wall a few days ago, I asked our audience to read through this, uh, this piece, set aside their political proclivities and biases, and uh, instead just read the article as is, read his comments as is, and ask yourself if you've noticed if there's anything missing. And if you go to our Facebook page and you read through all those comments, you'll see several of you had the discernment to notice there's a glaring omission. There's a lot of talk about racism, white privilege, loving your neighbor, etc. There's there's no repentance, no restoration, no sin, no judgment. There's no gospel. Now, before you jump to conclusions about J.D. Greer, because if I thought J.D. Greer is who some of you might be typecasting him as right now, I wouldn't be doing what we're about to do. If this were another Rob Bell from my era or a Jim Wallace from you baby boomers era, I wouldn't waste my time, the salt in my tears or the dust at the bottom of my feet. I'd be done. But he's not what you may be typecasting him as, just based off of the fallacy of these comments. Let me give you another example of the sort of stuff J.D. Greer comments on. He sent out this tweet yesterday in response to the proposed Virginia infanticide law. It says, we should oppose any ideology that treats people as worthy of dignity only if they are wanted, healthy, or have a chance or a voice to defend themselves. What is being proposed in Virginia exemplifies oppression under the guise of compassion. That is exceedingly well-worded. And several of you that are troubled by his comments on white privilege are probably now nodding in assent. But maybe you didn't realize or notice. Same thing's missing from those comments that's missing from the comments on white privilege. Same thing. Sin, judgment, forgiveness, repentance, the gospel. It's missing from those comments, too. Here's another uh, tweet. J.D. put out several tweets this week, uh, or, or the previous week, similar to the law that was actually passed, the infanticide law in New York, including uh, this one referring to a, a series of tweets from a physician uh, describing why what New York ratified is never needed or is never medical ne- medically necessary. It's always infanticide. And again, J.D. refers to it as horrendous. It is horrendous. Also missing. The gospel, sin, judgment, forgiveness. 
Here's the thing. J.D. Greer is not a liberal. He's not wokey. I mean, all, all of your liberal, progressive, Christian uh, wannabes aren't talking at all about what happened in New York and Virginia. They're silent. They're silent. And if they, and the ones that will say something will say something like, I don't agree with it, you know, but we need to care for the children after they're born. They'll find some fallacy to pivot to. It's not to, a very charitable interpretation of yes, the governor's words. They, they, will, they will find some fallacy to, to pivot to to get out of a moral absolute. So J.D. Greer is not a liberal. He is not a social justice warrior. He's not wokey. I have seen numerous baby boomer GOP shills from the Southern Baptist Convention or aligned with it who have made this claim about him. And that's not who he is. I mean, what do I mean by a GOP shill? Basically, the cross is gone, replaced by a red, white, and blue elephant. Their goal is saving America, not saving souls. Want to save America? Save more souls. You know what happens to a culture that has more sinners than saints? What happens? It goes down. What happens to a culture that has more saints than sinners? Got a chance, at least. Yeah. That's where that whole John Adams, your constitution's only for a moral religious mm-hmm. people thing. That's where that connection is. Okay. However, that doesn't mean men like J.D. Greer aren't poised to make a mistake, in my opinion, either. Because I think they are. And I'm I'm speaking to J.D. as really a proxy for the next generation of leadership coming from my generation that is now emerging to take the reins. See, like many men in this position from my generation. J.D. Greer, I believe, is struggling with how to avoid, how to avoid becoming the political hacks uh, so many in the previous generation became. And all that led to, did a great job, um, you know, getting Republicans elected, uh, did, a, did a great job uh, building a donor base for your faith and freedom coalitions. You also lost the culture war across the board comprehensively and played a huge role in giving millennials as a generation an excuse to just, you know, leave the church in droves with your political hackery. Absolute truth became partisan talking points. 25 years ago, a Democrat would have never dared said publicly anywhere in America what Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, just signed into law, would have never dared done it. Virginia was a liable Republican state for 100 years. Its physician Democrat governor is now saying, hey, let's birth the kid, and if the mom doesn't want it, then you know they can put it down if they want. So congratulations. All of your, your, all of your hardcore GOP shilling lost the culture war. Absolute truth became partisan talking points. Moral values became empty platitudes. And then when you had the serial adulterer Republican president, you, you, clo- you, you basically hammered the, na- the final nail in your coffins with the next generation by telling them that apparently now adultery is not a big deal while you condemn gay marriage. So that's great. Democratic Party cookie bouquet on its way for you. All we got out of this exchange 
of Republican shilling is we got Republicans writing decades of checks to the actual baby killers we claim to be evil. Uh, and not only did we lose marriage, though, we also then lost gender and identity altogether is gone now. So what's happened in response to the GOP shilling of too many men in J.D.'s position from the previous era is the new generation, the J.D. Greer types. They're not Rob Bell. They're not frauds. They're not heretics. What they are is they're afraid. They're, they're afraid of repeating the mistakes. They don't, nobody wants to be the next Ralph Reed. None of them want to be Robert Jeffress. So they're attempting to avoid repeating the mistakes of many of these kinds of men. But they're threatening to do so with a false choice that will just end up with history repeating itself. Well, let's replace your partisan political messaging with a comprehensive political message. Let's apply the gospel to all of the political landscape. Sounds great. Except we just watched the head of the largest evangelical Protestant denomination in recent days do this on several issues. Right and left. White privilege, abortion. And guess what was missing on both sides of his cultural commentary? What was missing in both of them? Jesus. Jesus is missing. The gospel's missing. So, I mean, all you did was just, now you've just got a, you've got a broader party platform. That's how you build a political coalition is you say to yourself, boy, how do I get Aaron's, Aaron's generation to show up, man? And I'll show them, you know, we'll get them to show up by pretending and, and, and showing that we maybe, we're not even pretending, we really care about racial injustice. That's the way a political operative thinks. Trust me, I've been one. You're coalition building. You're not kingdom building. We don't need another coalition. We don't need a broader coalition. We need the kingdom of God. That's what we need. And I'm saying it, JD, from someone on the front lines of this fight that you're just now beginning to wage. We don't need a better coalition. We don't need a more diverse coalition. We don't need a new slate of broader issues for our coalition. We don't need any more coalitions. We need some kingdom, some kingdom building and some kingdom thinking. That's what we need, sir. There is a difference. There is a difference between political activism in the pulpit and pulpit activism. Let me repeat that. There is a difference between political activism in the pulpit and pulpit activism. What is the difference? Well, political activism in the pulpit is a means to an end. And what is the end? Political action. Jesus looks at Pilate and says, I could command, my father could command minions of armies, hordes of angel armies that would come down here and smite you all in a heartbeat if that's what this was about. Don't be the disciples who followed the Savior, followed the Messiah and say, is now when you will restore the throne of David. Read the signs, understand the signs of the times. A golden chipmunk is not what's needed because the golden calf failed us. 
nor is a rainbow or a technicolored calf needed now. A multicolored calf with broader political activism from the church because the golden calf failed. No, smash your idols. Throw them into the fire where they belong. Let Molech the demon, let him gnaw and digest your smashed idols instead of your child sacrifice for a change. What is needed here is pulpit activism. What is that? Let me show you an example of what that is. This is J.D. Greer tweeting out his sermon last Sunday. This is his sermon. The Apostle Paul on homosexuality, racism, imperialism, and abortion. Liberals, wokies, SJW hacks aren't doing sermons with the Apostle Paul's thoughts on homosexuality, guys. Okay? So I know the former generation is looking for who's going to be our next, who's going to be our next religious right leader. And I, and, and, and you're looking at the JD Greer's of the world who have no interest in being that person. And you're thinking, well, you just must hate America then. That's a fake binary choice. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is they're trying to get, they're trying to not lose for good the culture your generation lost with your political hackery. That's what's happening. But they're threatening to actually reinforce it with a different, broader van of political, uh, brand of political hackery. JD, here's what we need, brother. We need the gospel. In season and out of season. We need you to never abandon it for cultural commentary. That's my job. I'm not a pastor. That's what people like me do. But your job is to bring the word, period. Whether you're on Fox or CNN or on The Blaze or in the pulpit on Sunday, you should never change your messaging, ever. You, as a pastor, as the head of a church with an apostolic calling as the head of a denomination, you never change your messaging from what, if you would not preach this in a pulpit, you should never go on television or on social media and ever say it, ever. You don't need to change your messaging. You bring the message and are the messenger. Let the lion out of its cage. It doesn't need consultants. It doesn't need a spell check. It doesn't need editors. It needs you, brother. It needs you to open the door. And it will defend itself just fine. One of the things we like to do here on our show is support those who are taking a stand with their courage of conviction. One of the toughest stands you can take is against your own family. That's exactly what Miss Victoria Hurst is doing right now because she's descended from William Randolph Hearst, one of the great tycoons in American history. And one of her family's media giant properties is Cosmopolitan Magazine. She's greatly concerned about how in recent years it has become more and more like Playboy, more and more adult. And yet it continues to market itself to daughters like Todd's or mine uh, and young daughters like yours. And she's saying, hey, I'm not going to be for censorship here, but at the very least, how about we do some stewardship? And if you want to be more adult, then you should just be responsible here and specifically market Cosmo, therefore, to adults. If this sounds like something, you know, I know a lot of you are busy, you're working, and you, you ask me all the time, Steve, what can I do? I've got a family of this and that. You know, here's what you can do. Here's one thing you can do for sure. From where you are right now, let's go to CosmoHurtsKids.com and have and add your voice to hers to stand up for a basic 
principle of, of right and wrong. CosmoHurtsKids.com, except this time it's H-U-R-T-S. CosmoHurtsKids.com is the website. All right, we come back here with hour two. The one and only Phil Robertson from right here on The Blaze in Duck Dynasty is going to join us. And then Theology Thursday, I'm going to go ahead and talk about something I don't want to talk about because it will convict me and I don't want to be convicted. I want to justify my spike, which is exactly why I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, even though I don't want to. That's coming up next on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? Do you have itchy ears and not just the kind, you know, we often rebuke here on this show, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, like, you know, physically, not spiritually, physically, uh, itchy ears, uh, ear pain, that plugged up feeling. Um, maybe you're asking people to constantly repeat themselves. If these problems sound familiar, it could be like millions of Americans forced to visit a doctor for a professional ear clean. But now you can get the same results in the comfort and convenience of your own home with Wax RX. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup with also soothing the ear with that pH-balanced formula that even those cotton swabs that you're not supposed to use anymore, because apparently the experts say you'll destroy your kid's eardrum. Even if you continue to use those, you might even get some of the surface wax out of there, but it's not a real clean and it's not soothing the ear after you even get some of that surface wax out of there either. You need a real solution. All right. And now you can use Wax RX without a prescription. Here's how uh, you can try the Wax RX system risk free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's usewax, usewaxrx. That's the website. Use it in there as well. Usewaxrx.com. And then while you're there, use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. So offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com is the website. Releasing on Tuesday. Phil Robertson's new book, The Theft of America's Soul. And uh, our contemporary here at The Blaze joins us now on the Steve Day Show. Phil, it's good to have you back, man. How are you? Hey, good to see you all. So let's start with the obvious question. Um, what, what inspired you to go down this particular road with this book, Phil? Observation of America. I've been on the earth 72 years, and I just looked at the direction we are headed. The murder rate is way up. The hatred rate is way up. The lying gets worse and worse from every angle. So I'm just going to give them a little treatise of what the Bible says about all this. <laughs> all right. What Something tells me it, it ain't little. Knowing you, brother. So what, do, what does the Word of God have to say about some of this stuff that you point out in your book? Well, here's a picture of the human race without God. Now, we've pretty well been on this no God run uh, for about 60 years. My question is, how's it working out for us? Now watch. Uh, Jew and Gentile alike are all under sin. Sin is the problem. When's the last time you guys heard anyone in the news media, anyone in the government 
any college professor, institution of higher learning, when's the last time you heard the word sin even used in any kind of dialogue? Mm. It's never mentioned. Now watch. There's no one righteous, not even one. These are a world without God. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've altogether become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing, bitterness. Just look what they did to the little high school Catholic boys. Mm-hmm. Look at what they called them. Look at what they said do. Throw them in a wood chipper. Kill them. Watch. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They are jumping up and down in New York when they voted. You can now kill your child even if they come out of the womb. Mm. You can kill them. They were like, yay, we can kill them. We can kill our children. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Now listen to this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm. Written 2,000 years ago to the Roman Empire. Nothing has changed. So I wrote a book just to alert the human race. We're going down the wrong path and the wrath of God will come upon us. Phil, I know from talking to you before, you take an interest in uh, mentoring young men on a personal level. Yep. And let's make what you talked about a, a second ago personal because one of the things that um, one of the things the spirit of the age likes to do uh, to men with your message uh, is to make it seem like it's unattainable, uh, that you're self-righteous, that um, you're asking people to live a way you couldn't live yourself, uh, that you're all hypocrites and you're just uh, you're you've got a uh, you've got two bony fingers and another one warming up in the bullpen to point at everybody the minute they make a mistake. And I think one of the things you do effectively, and I want to give you a chance to do it again here now is to talk about your own life when you have fallen for some of the lies that you're going to confront in your book on Tuesday. Because I think it's important for us to remind a culture we're calling to repentance that we've had to repent of the things we're calling them to repent of as well. You better believe it. So look, I've been commode, hugging, drunk with the worst of them. Drugs, immorality, lying. I've been there. I've done that. I never had investigated or heard that God became flesh. My calendar documents it 2019 years ago. He died on a cross to remove all of my sin. They put him in a tomb like they're going to put us all in a tomb. Three days later, not only did he remove my sin, he proved he could do it by being resurrected from the dead. So what I am telling America is that life and immortality is riding 
on this story in this book. Someone says, well, if I could just see God, if he had talked to me, what do you want him to do? Write you a letter? He wrote you a lot of them. <laughs> it's all here. Just read it. For the life of me, what I can't figure out is what the downside is to loving God and loving each other. That's all I'm asking for. Mm. That's all God is asking for. So, oh, I've been drunk in my heathen past, but over the last 44 years, I repented at 28. No more immorality, drunkenness, or any of that. I haven't, I haven't used a cuss word in 35, 40 years. So you're like, you repented and you turned to God you're trying to get our culture to do likewise. I love them. I love my country. I don't care what you've done. You can repent and start all over. It's like being born again. Mm. So that's my message. Yesterday, I talked to six women. They asked me what I talked to them. Another lady brought them. Some were prostitutes, have been prostitutes, drug use, immorality. So I go through the bad news, sin, physical death, and the good news. You can have your sins removed, and you can be conquer the grave itself by being raised from the dead. I told them that three, half of them responded by faith. I wait till the next day, which is today. And I'm still on the same message. <laughs> hmm. It's my life. I love God. I love my country. Come on, America. 110 million of Americans at any given time have a sexually transmitted disease. Center for Disease Control. Just think. So they make these children by being immoral and then they kill their children on a massive scale. What are we doing? What is anonymous Christianity, Phil? What do you mean by that? Anonymous Christianity is you confine your worship to a church building one time a week. You never say a word about Jesus to the people around you. Anonymous Christianity is boxing God in to a church building. We ran him out of government. We ran him out of our schools. We confined him to the church buildings. You drive up once a week and you worship. That's not worship. Worshiping God is what we're doing right now. I get up in the morning. I'm aware of God's mercy. Therefore, I offer me my body, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I practice hospitality. I bring people in. I give them the good news. I'm salt. I'm light all the time. We have a misconception of worship. Anonymous Christianity, they don't know who you are. I got news for America. I wonder why they know who I am because I speak out. 
I love them. Turn from your sin. Come on, let's go. The people you talked about speaking with, uh, the the group of uh, women uh, yesterday, I think you said you spoke to, I referenced, uh, I know from talking to you before, you like to mentor young men on an individual level. How many of them have openly prior to encountering you how what's the ratio of them that have that have cognitively affirmatively rejected god's forgiveness compared to those that never had anybody share god's forgiveness with them here's the formula jesus said when you preach the gospel of the kingdom it's like planting seed the first person does not understand it because the evil one snatches away what was sown in his heart. He cannot believe and be saved. So the first one's out. A lot of them. The second kind, they hear the message, the good news of Jesus, and they quickly say, yes, that's it. I take them down the river. I baptize them. But when the time of testing comes or persecution Mm -hmm. because of the word they quickly fall away Mm -hmm. that's two out of two down down the third kind is the kind that hears it the message but the cares of this world the deceitfulness of wealth the the jobs their 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 livelihood they become entangled in worldly things and they don't grow the seed won't grow That's three. However, there is the one with the good and honest heart. They hear the message. They believe it. They obey it. And by perseverance, produce a crop. They plant seed. Some produce 30, some 60, some 100% from what was sown. So Jesus, to answer your question, one out of four. That's about, and that's what I've seen sharing Jesus with people. About one out of four, get it. But the one out of four is worth it. Mm. Someone told me the gospel. Mm-hmm. I responded by faith. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. For everyone who says, I'm in, thank you, Lord, for giving me life and immortality. I will serve you faithfully the rest of my days on the earth. Look. If this is not true, none of us are getting out of here alive. None. Mm. This is the only hope I have. And it's free. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody talks about health care, what it's going to cost us. I'm like, eternal health care. And it's free. Mm. So I'm all in with Jesus. You make it sound so simple, Phil. So why isn't it? It is so simple for so many people. What we did to Christianity, the theologians came in, the government walled God off, no Ten Commandments in the courthouses. Have you ever wondered? They took the Ten Commandments out of the foyer and the courthouses because that was no religion, no God. When you violate the Ten Commandments, misbehaving children, murderers, adulterers, divorces, all that. 
uh, stealing, burglary, bank robbery, uh, lying, lying to the government about your taxes, and you go to the courthouse. Everybody gets taken to the courthouse when they violate five or six of the Ten Commandments, but we don't want them in a courthouse. <laughs> That's where they carry you when you violate the Ten Commandments, to the courthouse. But we don't want the Ten Commandments there, don't murder, because if you murder, you'll end up here. I would think that's an excellent place to put the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Name of the book is it's The crazy. Theft of America's Soul. Who's the thief? The evil one. The devil, according to Jesus Christ, is the father, listen to this, the father of murder. How much murder do you see worldwide? and inside their American culture, they are thrilled to kill their own children. You say, who told them that was a good thing? Mm -hmm. The evil one. He's the father of murder, the devil. And he's, listen, the father of lies. You look at the news media and you say, even Donald Trump, the president, has said fake news. They're lying over and over and over. You say, who's doing that? Satan working in them. Therefore, I'm not a political warrior because it's not a political fix. Depravity, when there is no God, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, Mm-hmm. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Now listen to this list. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I'm quoting Romans 1, Romans 1 yeah. verse 28. So if you look at it, you say, man, the evil one has done a number on us. Our founding fathers warned us when you lose your religion, you lose your morality. And your virtue leaves. And then goes your freedom. One empire after the other. They rise, they fall. It's because they won't bow their knee to God. And then they fix it so you will bow to them. Mm. I'm trying to show them that in the book. Name of the book, The Theft of America's Soul, comes out on Tuesday. Phil Robertson, obviously, we're not pulling any punches here, and that's exactly why we wanted to have him on. And uh, Phil, I hope the book is hugely successful, given its message. Brother, thanks for joining us here today. Good to see you, man. Let's get some thoughts on uh, what we heard uh, from Phil Robertson. Well, 
just I'm always I've read one of his uh, books. It might have been his uh, f- first book. His his willingness to do what you asked him to do, share his fallenness, his mm-hmm. brokenness. Mm-hmm. He, he's more than willing to do in detail, and I think that's why he is so effective. I've said many times on the show before that we we need um, a church that uh, stinks. A little bit more. We need Christians that aren't afraid of uh, that thing. That they don't. It's not all oriented towards uh, optics. Uh, he's a ma- he's a man that brings you closer uh, to Jesus because he's not. He he doesn't look like the three piece suit version of um, your your Sunday best. Your your Sunday best is not. Uh, a garment. It's sometimes symbolized by a garment, uh, but your Sunday best is your humility, your total willingness to give all, as Phil said to God. And I, I, I love the what he brings to the table. Into here I am, Lord, I, I, with no apology, no reservation. Uh, I, I, I dare say, in the last decade, is there any? single man just off the top of your head that you are certain um in america at at the very least that has done more uh for the the faith than phil robertson you'd be hard pressed to find uh that man and and it's because there's just no corner of his universe that he does not give over to the lord and that's a man's man right there i mean that that's that dude's a better football player uh at at one point in his life than terry bradshaw okay he, he the guy at his has committed all the man's uh sins and he he just simply refuses to make excuse um man Follow that guy. Figure where you can find this book, his other books. Learn more about him. Uh, you'll be way better off than you were yesterday. Yeah, and that I mean the the, the thing that stuck out to me uh, is uh, the simplicity of the gospel. Um, it, it is so simple a child can understand it. Yet it is a very hard thing because we are as humans. And our, our natures are inherently very proud, just like Lucifer, just like, um, just like um, our enemy. Uh, we are inherently proud, and it's very difficult for us to admit when we are wrong, and it's very difficult to uh, unfurl um, our scars um, you know, in front of the Lord, much less, um, or how, how much more, in front of other human beings. So, uh, obviously, huge credit to fill, and I think we could all learn something about that as well, and uh, about being open with our our brokenness. That's something all of us need to do better with admitting our sins to one another uh, along those lines. And I think of I, I've been thinking. My sister and I were talking yesterday, and I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, she she mentioned how our culture is becoming Nineveh, and that's appropriate because of the culture of Nineveh. Um, but it's also um, a look at who the prophet was that the Lord sent to preach to Nineveh. Uh, and in the Veggie Tales adaptation of Jonah, um, you know, the Ninevites. Which is are, very faithful, which, by the way. Which is very faithful. The Ninevites, except for this part, the Ninevites are <laughs> characterized by how many fish they slap around at each other, and they're just so nasty with these fish. And it is interesting. We look at the nastiness and we think. Um, uh, oh boy, let's stay away from that. Uh, along the lines of what Todd was saying, um, God saved Nineveh despite 
Jonah, um, if we're going to be honest. Um, I think if if we are going to be used by the Lord, and the Lord will have his way. I mean, he is, you know, God, newsflash, guys, God is God, okay? He is all-powerful. He, he can do whatever the heck he wants to do with or without us. Um, but it, I think if we're going to be effective witnesses, we have to be able to look at others and not see, um, and not just see, ooh, icky. We have to be able to look at others and say, look uh, at a potential story there of God's um, amazing grace. Look at what God has done in that individual instead of this icky, this uh, whitewashed tomb thing that we've got down really, really well, especially in the West. So this brings us to the part of the program I'm I'm looking the least forward to. And there's a couple of reasons why I'm not looking forward to this. One is because I feel pretty justified, as I'm sure many of you do, given what's in my inbox right now. I feel pretty justified in my spite. So I kind of don't want to let go of it. <laughs> you know, when, when we feel like something is justified and action and emotion is justified, we are less inclined to be convinced to uh, cease of doing so, you know? So on one hand, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my spite right now. And that brings me to the second reason I'm not looking forward to this conversation. And that is, Articulating the reasons why I'm not justified in my spite are not are uncomfortable. And <laughs> the reason they're uncomfortable is uh is is because they're true. If if what is required of me to answer this question were not true, then I'd be perfectly fine discussing it with you. I'd be perfectly fine justifying spite. How, how can you not, if you're a human with any morality at all, Look at the cheering and the clapping of those legislators in New York. Essentially decreeing a mass execution. How do you, how do you not have spite? How do you, how do you not want them to get theirs? This is a question that Aaron asked me if we could tackle this with Theology Thursday yesterday. How do we love our enemies? And this will shock probably none of you that are familiar with this program. This is not one of my favorite commands from our Lord. 
This ranks really low on my Jesus to-do list power ratings. It's really low. It's like a 16 seed on my Jesus bracketology right now. I mean, it's, I suppose I got to give it a bid. I got to put it in the field, but man, it's, it's at the bottom of the bracket right now. Okay. Um, and that's almost true for me most of the time. So right away, when Aaron out of nowhere yesterday asked me, I think we should discuss this. I had like 47, and I thought they were actually pretty smart, well-rooted rationalizations for why we weren't going to talk about this. And then I watched my inbox over the course of the next few hours, even on Facebook, which says I have acquired no new likes in two and a half years. I have been emailed at steve at stevedace.com. I've had people email me on Facebook. Multiple people, and you know, multiple, it's not like 50 or 100. It's been about a half dozen. But the timing of those notes and the point of those notes cannot be coincidental. So I'm going to be very uncomfortable when we return. Stay tuned. Hey, if you're looking for an energy boost product, uh, don't get one of those ones at the store that is uh, loaded with a bunch of ingredients. That's a pretty good rule of thumb, by the way, in general, that if if you can't pronounce a lot of the things uh, in the ingredients there on the back cover, maybe don't put it in your body in general. Uh, but uh, especially when it comes to these the, the, this booming market of energy drinks. And this one covers you for this amount of time. And, and it, you don't want jitters. You don't want crashes. Uh, you don't want something that uh, can upset your digestive system or things of that nature. Uh, and, and you risk all of that when you put all of these things made of foreign substances in your body. Go to an energy source that comes from nature. That's that comes from the, the way the creator intended things to be. And that's really the specialty of our friends, uh, the physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition. They do this with a lot of different products, but they have an energy product that is all natural and does this as well. It's called From Dawn to Dusk, all natural. I use this thing on a regular basis. Um, no jitters, no crashes, uh, no you know sudden digestive issues, none of, thing, none of the other symptoms that goes along with using more of the synthetic style of energy boost. Do things the old-fashioned way, the natural way, dawn to dusk from Brickhouse Nutrition. And right now, you can use promo code STEVE to get 15% off of your first order of dawn to dusk if you go to BrickHouseSteve.com. So the website, BrickHouseSteve.com. Use the promo code STEVE in order to get 15% off of your first order of From Dawn to Dusk when you visit that site. So let's get to our Theology Thursday, although it kind of seems like that's been most of the show here today. But this is the, the part of the show each week we specifically set aside for theology. And we've been doing this uh, study through uh, Paul's uh, letter to the church at uh, Colossae, otherwise known uh, as Colossians. And we left off last week. Steve, what is, how is this going to address the question you said you're going to answer? Oh, it's, it's, going to, it's going to address it. Trust me. 
let's go to, we left off uh, in chapter 3 last week in verse 5. This is Paul writing now. So uh, chapter 1, Paul is laying out the ultimate truth of, of who Jesus Christ is, what, is, what theologians refer to as Christology. All right? The second chapter, he is urging people to reject worldly thinking, false philosophy, fake gods, spirit of the age stuff. Okay? In other words, most of what's on your newscasts. Okay? <laughs> He's urging you from Paul from 2,000 years ago is saying, turn off your station. All right? But now we go to chapter three. And now Paul is squarely now looking to encourage and hold accountable those who have said, hey, I, because I believe in what's in chapter one, I have rejected what's in chapter two. And now Paul says, make sure that you have. And here's how you would make sure. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, in these, you too, in these, you too. I'm going to say this one more time. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, Now, if you are who you say you are, if you believe what you claim you believe, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Aaron's question How do we love our enemies that he wanted us to tackle today that I didn't want to tackle? Because I feel pretty justified in not loving them right now. And I was not going to address it (laughs) Uh, because these verses can be used in several different contexts in areas where I also struggle, but I'm not nearly as uncomfortable addressing those struggles. Because I don't, you know why I don't feel as uncomfortable addressing those struggles? You know why I don't feel as comfortable, I don't feel uncomfortable addressing my struggles with sexual immorality, for example. You know why? Because I know I'm not justified with those struggles. I know those struggles are unjustified. I know this. And this is where Paul talks in another uh, epistle, really the war between the natural man that you still are and the spirit of God that now lives in you as a convert. That these two things are warring with each other. So I am mature enough in my faith to understand my struggles with sexual immorality are not justified in any way. Which is why I'm not uncomfortable talking about them. Because I know that's the old self. That is in the process of being put to death. And so while the struggle is real, it's not, it's not as pronounced as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, six months ago, meaning that the new self is winning the battle. It's not undefeated, but it's winning. And so in a way, when I talk about my struggles in this area, I almost feel as if I'm talking about a person that doesn't live anymore, who, but just like a zombie comes back every now and then. 
And so I recognize, my conscience recognize that struggle of mine is not justified. So I am completely at ease sharing my struggles in this area. Oh, but this one over here, I feel pretty justified. Feel pretty justified in being angry right now and not of the whip of a cord's kind or the jawbone of an ass kind. You know, uh, when's the smiting starts at three o'clock kind. Feel pretty justified. So I'm not as comfortable talking about this one because you know, the solution to that justification actually comes from the fact I have struggles in other areas where I too have been at war with God. I too have been an enemy. And that's why Paul writes here, in these two, you once walked. This isn't the first time he makes a statement like this. His letter to the church in Corinth, where he is at times especially harsh in their idolatry and false teaching. And he labels, and he lists off all of the types of people who, while they remain in that identity, will not, while they remain in the identity of an unrepentant murderer, slanderer, sexual immorality, homosexual, adulterer, he, li- he says, while they remain unrepentant in this state, these people will not inherit God's kingdom. And then, though, he says, but such as once were you. I have to ask myself, you know, it's an old saying, therefore, by the grace of God, go I. You know, I've got a really powerful testimony on the abortion issue. I've shared it with the audience. I don't need to do it again. I'm sure I'll do it again in the future. Mom finds out she's 14. At 14, she's pregnant with me. Uh, Roe versus Wade happens a month later. She decides she can't go through the abortion. She ends up becoming a mom at the ripe old age of 15. And then even on my wife's side, um, you know, her grandmother was assaulted at 15 and they took her to a back alley abortionist back in the 50s three times for various reasons. The abortion was never completed. So they sent her away to have the child. She gave the child up to Bethany Christian Services. If any of those three back alley abortions had been culminated, my wife would have never been born because her grandmother would have never been born and thus neither would have her mom. I mean, that's a really powerful testimony, right? And everybody, and, and people get emotional and it, and it, and it wins hearts and it moves people where maybe their hearts were hardened and that's good. And that's why I use that testimony to that end. Let me give you my, another testimony of mine. You probably won't find all that inspirational, though. That I could have been the teenage boy who impregnated several girls in high school. Like my mom's boyfriend impregnated her. And at 16, 17, 18 years old, I was voted most likely to succeed. And, you know, I was going to be the first person in my family to go to college and My mama had told me all my life how brilliant I am and how special I am. Well, I mean, 
As President Obama once said, I, I can't be punished with a baby. I'd have paid for my girlfriend to have an abortion. And I would have done it even after knowing my own history at that age. You want to know one of the reasons why our children are so spread out? It wasn't our intent. It took us years to get pregnant with Anna because we used to go to Planned Parenthood before we were Christians. We used to go there and get this birth control patch because I didn't like wearing condoms. And Amy wasn't a big fan of them either. So, and the pill made her sick. So we used to get this like injection patch. And I remember it's like 20 some odd years ago now. And then they tell you when you go off of it, it'll just, you'll, you'll be fine. And in a few months, you know, your body will recycle. You'll be able to get pregnant again. It took us two years. That's a lie. That, lie, that was a lie. I used to drive her there to get this thing done like every couple months. And then when we finally decided we wanted to have kids. Um, it, it's so jacked with her ovulating cycles and everything. It took years to get pregnant with Anna. It wasn't like a 90-day reset at all. And then it took another couple of years to get pregnant with Zoe. You guys probably won't want to have me come to your church and give that testimony, though, do you? There's no real. Oh, look what Jesus did. That doesn't really. You feeling really warm fuzzy right now, Herzen? I've been more so. But everything I just told our audience is every bit as true as the other part of my testimony as well. They're both true. And the Lord is in both of those and was at work in both of those. One is just much ickier than the other. I can't t- sit here and tell you today that I, I I wish I could. I don't know. I wasn't always sober. I can't sit here and tell you today that I will not one day have a knock on my doorstep with some kid I didn't even know I had. I, I can't tell you that. It's not comfortable sharing that. <laughs> um, but it's a reminder uh, of what it means to love your enemies, because they're not really your enemies. When Jesus appears on the road to Damascus to Saul, as he's on his way there to Syria to persecute Christians, Jesus doesn't say to Saul, why are you going to persecute these lovely people? Is that what he says? No. He says, why are you persecuting whom? Me. Me. Paul was, Saul was not the enemy of Christians. Saul was the enemy of Christ. Because ultimately, are there any Christians if there is no Christ? No. We don't really have any enemies. God does. And you know, as Paul writes here in this part of Colossians, in these, you two, you two, this is where Jesus, we don't really know. There's some Catholic traditions I've read that say what he was writing in the dirt, maybe with some of the sins of the men that were there. We don't know though. Scriptures don't tell us what he was writing in the dirt. That would be insane if that was what he was writing in the dirt, but we don't know that for sure. The scriptures don't tell us that for sure. This is what he meant when he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What have you not repented of? What are you hiding? What what am I hiding? What What have I not repented of? Maybe it's just as simple as being the anonymous Christian Phil Robertson was talking about a half hour ago. 
so your light's under a bushel. Oh, you're really fired up and angry when you turn on Fox News tonight. But then there's nothing after that. So this is where the double-edged sword is the sharpest. We all have read in the ledger. We even have read in the ledger right now. The ledger. We're going to share hell with those people that we want to smite right now. Because in these, you too once these, me too. This is why it is hard to love your enemies. It's not because you're not loving enough or empathetic enough. It's because we're not honest enough that in these two, we once walked. Maybe you're kind of shucking and jiving right now, maybe. Oh. Get to some final thoughts here brought to our friends by Home Title Lock. Your home is your most valuable investment. Don't let thieves take it away with a data breach, which they now can use your personal information to pretend they're you. And get a hold of your home's title, forge your signature, that equity, they liquidate it, it now belongs to them. It's your investment. For most of Americans, it's the most valuable investment they'll ever have. You deserve to reap the reward for it. So protect it. Pennies on the dollar a day is what it takes to put this hedge of protection around your home's title at Home Title Lock. They will protect you from home title fraud. And right now, uh, they'll do a security report and scan of your home's title to see, hey, has it been compromised? Has it been targeted already? Normally, they charge $100 for that. They give it to our audience at The Blaze today for free. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Gentlemen, you have the last word here today. I'm uh, I'm proud of you, brother. That was that was very well done, um, and that's I I completely believe uh, believe you when you say you know that's not an easy thing to discuss. And the reason why, part of the reason why I asked that yesterday uh, is because even though I was talking about grace and I got to flesh that out quite a bit at the end of the first hour yesterday, I I didn't really. I, those were just just to be complete. Since we're being transparent here, year of new, no BS. I deep. I didn't really think that. I just knew that that was the right thing to say, um, which is part of the reason why I asked that question yesterday. Because the point you brought up about this justified feeling that is hard to shake um, when we do have righteous anger. That 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 is a gift. I think from from mm-hmm. the Lord that can be that. But but it needs to be. Um, fashion that it needs to be directed in healthy uh ways ways that doesn't diminish christ's name um but you really hit it home at the end because when we feel justified about our spite and our anger um i think at at this at the subconscious level spiritually deep spiritually we see ourselves and the people that we're attacking and it's not a pretty sight and that's why we cannot allow ourselves, I think, in many cases, to be honest with ourselves. Todd, you got like 20 seconds. We're just deeply confused about pronouns once again. There is no them <laughs> separate from you. There mm. is an us, and there is an us because of him. Mm. Well, why didn't we just do that and go home a half hour ago? <laughs> John three seventeen. 
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Mm-hmm.